0: So this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast, and I have uh, Howard David Stupak, MD. Um, He specializes exclusively in cosmetic and reconstructive surgery of the face, the head, and the neck. He's board certified by the American Board of Facial Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery. He's a member of the American Academy of Facial Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery. Um, He's practiced in Connecticut since moving here with his family from New Orleans in 2005. And... um, He's known for a uh, delicate technique and natural appearing results. You know, in contrast to uh, some of the horrific uh, celebrity plastic surgery that we've all seen out there. So, uh, Doctor Stupak, thanks for coming. How you doing?
1: Yeah, no, I'm good. Thank you.
0: Yeah, you know, b- before the call, I was actually looking on your website and your blog, and you had an article that talked about um, you know how you're fascinated by by seeing celebrities and the plastic surgeries they've had, and you know the failures of it. Maybe we can. Uh, start with that you know it's kind of a a strange irony you know the people that most desperately want to look good and have the most money to do it and you think would get the best plastic surgery don't and they look weird and misshapen and what's behind that why does that happen
1: oh well I think like many things it is a error in strategy um more than you know most people assume that there's you know some technical error that happened oh they Something must have slipped, or he did too much, or too little, or they. A lot of doctors even will blame the patient and, oh, well, they she wanted too. She wanted me to get rid of everything, so I I did, and now they look disfigured. In reality, it's mostly that we really, as a as a culture and as a specialty, think about it completely backwards. So when I'm talking, when I say our strategy is wrong, it's that. You know the strategy to most people, which makes sense and is repeated, is let's get rid of wrinkles. So we go, oh well, if we get rid of wrinkles, then we'll be getting, then we'll be looking younger, because everyone knows wrinkles are mm. associated with age. So right. we become obsessed with trying to numerically reduce wrinkles. So if someone has, they think if you have a hundred wrinkles, you look old, and if you have two, you look young or youthful. But the the error is that it's it's not true. You just look bad without... Everyone has lines and wrinkles. And, yeah, it's associated with age, but what they compromise is the position of everything. So instead of trying to focus on wrinkles, what we try to focus on to not get those terrible celebrity outcomes is cheek position, brow position. And those are the ways that nasal, um, not just not having... Uh, a bump or having a cute nose, but having it be match the facial structure and the position of everything. I I think we need to throw out the whole wrinkle thing out of the out of speech practically, and then there'll be a lot fewer problems.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Do you think that um, the best thing to do is for someone to look good, but also look their age? And do you think that it's maybe it's because celebrities, for instance, want to look younger than they physically are? dramatically, and that just leads to, I don't know, um, something not looking right about them.
1: Yeah. You know, I I have a kind of uh, also a different viewpoint on that as well, in that it's not the celebrities who are making the error. It's they're, they're going into this going, hey, I want to look good. And they've also heard this whole strategy of preventative care. So they go, all right, well, I want to prevent looking worse. So they go to a plastic surgeon or a dermatologist and they're they're given a a treatment procedure, so they say, oh, well, we can prevent aging with a with Botox, or we can uh, prevent it with these fillers or something. So the person has a different, you know, they just see, oh, maybe a little tweaking, a little better. The the problem is the plastic surgeon is focused on the on on the proceed, on these a procedure which by definition means steps. So they're really, I have to do these seven steps in injecting the Botox or filler or or facelift, and they're not really um, making sure that their overall strategy is aligned with the celebrity. And it's it's essentially just a miscommunication. A lot of times the celebrities, a further miscommunication. I think it's a from basically having a slightly insider view they tend to go to people who are really good self-promoters, doctors. Um, So they're really good at self-promotion. They're really good at um, uh, networking. And they may not be the – so they'll network to become, quote, the best guy or the best celebrity plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills. The problem is that doesn't correlate with a thoughtful strategy. In other words, they're two completely divergent things. And it sometimes is the person who has appropriate strategy and empathy for these people. You got to look at, I mean, they're being disfigured. So someone's lacking some empathy in how they're treating them. Um, that there, there's a major miscommunication going on. And I think it's a disconnect between how good a, a plastic surgeon can make himself seem online and how much of a thinker they are and how much empathy and uh, honesty they have. Well, that's. I think
0: this is a problem with a lot of um, professions is, you know, as a consumer that doesn't know anything, like if I want to get plastic surgery, for instance, how do I know that, you know, you're going to do it the right way and some other guy is not, or some other gal, like, you know,
1: what, a, what things would you look
0: specific... at to vet someone?
1: It's a great question, and it's one of the hardest questions I'm asked, to be honest with you, because people, after I explain this to patients who come to see me, they can, well, why could we trust, you know, you just went through this and said, you know, it's all a sham, the the public face, you know, I, if I'm the, trying to show how great I am at this, and, you know, you read some stuff at the beginning from an old uh, website that I had, or even an earlier version of my website, and to me, it's it's very much of self-promotional bull, okay? But and th- but that's the world we live in. Everyone, it, it's really who gets the most patients now is who does the self pro- most self-promoting. Every plastic surgeon says they're the best and the most natural and the most this and that. So the problem is when we have this escalation, you know, this arms race of who's showing how great you are. And you have the fanciest website and the biggest office and you drive a you know, a Bentley or a Lamborghini, and you have pictures of you with Prince Charles or George Clooney. Um, You know, those are the things that we think should be with respect. I mean, that's how you know Tom Hanks is a better actor than most people because he's achieved those things. The problem with, with plastic surgeons and with many technical things, none of them correlate at all with skill. So then, like, you're getting back to the question, what does correlate with skill? What does correlate with getting a good result, or even more important, empathy. Let's say you actually, in the real world, levels of skill are rather rather similar amongst doctors, even though that's not what the website would have you say. Where does it differ? Why are these disasters happening? I do think it's level of empathy, level uh meaning how much you care to not let yourself harm someone like that, what techniques can you do to mitigate that? And if you don't have very strong levels of wanting to not harm someone, you're going to have bad results because if you follow the textbooks, things are going to go wrong. The problem is the textbooks are what misleads most people. So you have to be an outside-the-box thinker. You have to have good empathy. And most important, this is going to sound crazy, you have to be a good person, like literally. Mm. And then how do, you, how do you convey that on the web? empathy, being a good person, you know, it doesn't translate into media very well. You know, Howard Stupak is a nice guy. You know, that there's, that doesn't come out there very well. So, unfortunately, all we have to really um, really look for people, because, again, even education can be a self-promotional thing. I did my residency at Harvard, and people assume, I, I didn't, I'm exaggerating, but if you did your residency at a Ivy League-sounding place, it makes people, again, assume that that's associated with skill. Again, it's not. And you could get very bad outcomes having been to a top medical center. And I don't, I'm not picking on any specific one. Uh, you could get good results having gone to a very average place. So there's definitely a threshold you need to have achieved with qualifications. But the most important thing is really old-fashioned values like word of mouth your sister saw him for the same procedure a friend of a friend did, you really kind of have to stay local, meet the person, see that they're a good person, um, have their strategy match your strategy. So you need to have an understanding of what your goal is. If you, if you just walk in and go, I want you to make me look good, it's going to be a failure because the doctor's not going to know what to do. You're not going to go to I know enough to right. help someone through it, but... You need to tell them what you need to achieve and it needs to make sense and match, and they need to seem like a decent individual a lot more than the qual the quote, quote you know the kind of qualifications you hear about in Oprah. make sure your doctor is this, or make sure you ask your doctor this those are fake um, fake qualifications well, I think you know i was I was talking
0: to a friend about um you know suits and how some suits or some clothing just looks really good. And I can, I can tell you, oh, this suit looks really good, but I can't tell you why beauty and appearance seems to be the same way. Like I can tell you, oh, this person's looking younger lately. You know, maybe they're like on a diet or something, but I can't tell you why. And I think I would just guess plastic surgeon needs to be an artist or a designer. They need to have that sense of how to make someone look natural and look better because if they don't have that, then I guess they would just rely on mechanistic Techniques they've been taught in school to to change someone's facial structure, which will lead to bad outcomes.
1: Yes, you're 100% right. You 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 hit it you're the nail on the head. If you're the kind of guy, let's say you know what we mostly uh, the way we select people for residency or medical school is someone who can achieve a lot of steps. In other words, they did great on the SATs and the medical school admission exam, and they were able to achieve straight A's you know, none of which necessarily correlates with aesthetic intelligence or having a good visual eye or being able to grasp these things. So what's interesting is you end up having a whole world of plastic surgeons who can follow a series of steps. Now, you know, if you don't have the eye for it, you're never going to achieve good results without knowing how to what the goal has to be, and you need an aesthetic eye for that. But you also need to know how to execute. So those two things have to be married together, both like you said, the understanding of what does look good, even if you can't put words on it. You have to know what looks good, but you also have to know how to get someone there physically without harming them. So two very difficult things to achieve, whereas following a series of steps in a procedure is quite easy to achieve, if you think about it, I mean... Anyone can eventually be trained to follow steps. I think what separates plastic surgeons, and unfortunately the qualifications almost never predict this, is how good your eye is. And I'm not talking about, you know, can you name which work was done by Picasso in 1942. It's literally having that aesthetic eye that you have just by... You know which we can develop over time. You go, I know that suit looks good. I know I like that girl's look. I know I like that guy's hair. Those are, they look good. And you know what you like and you don't know what you don't like. To be a surgeon and achieve those things, or I'm assuming a hairdresser or a makeup artist or a tailor, you have to know what the goal is that is going to be achieved, um, the aesthetic ideal, and then you have to know at least, Mostly, how to get there, or you're just going to fail. You know, it's a little like if someone watched a sculptor uh, make, you know, let's say a famous uh, sculpture like the Venus or the David sculpture, and someone watched this chiseling or whatever happening, and the sculptor was working, and they wrote notes to each other, and they realized that it was 20 steps to go from a block of stone to the David sculpture. And they wrote down and in liter- in, in, you know the twenty steps, and then they bought a block of stone and followed the twenty steps. It's not going to end up looking like the David. It's going to end up looking completely different. They just followed steps, and they were going to be sorely mistaken when they see that it didn't work the way they thought that the steps should lead to. Right. Yeah, but, yeah, this
0: can't be just a paint by numbers or cut by numbers type thing, otherwise. Yeah, no which is unfortunately results. how it's trained. Hmm, okay. Um, what kind of tools are the latest and greatest? Do you have, like, uh, 3D computer models of what someone will look like after a procedure? I mean, what, what, uh, what kind of things do yeah, you use you that know, are helpful?
1: I'm not as big. Uh, you know, I, I am very interested in innovation, but much less interested in, in technology. In other words, yeah, we can show people generally what we look they look like. There's a lot of fancy versions of Photoshop out there that are user-friendly, you know, but it's essentially Photoshop you know, that can simulate. But really what you're doing is showing your eye. What I think, if you're really asking me what I think is the the future of plastic surgery and innovation, it is changing the educational process and it is changing from a stepwise person who follows these steps that I think is designed for failure. And if we're all failing at a very inefficient rate, if we're harming celebrities who are the you know, by the definition, the celebrated people of our culture, if we can't do that right, we're doing a very poor job. And most people are not calling out that plastic surgery is just in a terrible state that we we can't really achieve very much. but you know that doesn't mean there's no good results. there's There's plenty, but it's hard to find, and it's it creates unnecessary fear uh, in patients who are seeking it from in reasonable places. It creates uh, unpredictable results. So, where do I think the innovation would go is to change the educational system, at least into being a much more, and even in medicine in general, to being more reasoning involved and less step following in cookbooks. Unfortunately, the way it's mostly going is more codification of algorithms and cookbooks and steps and malpractice that goes after you for not following certain steps. In reality, I think we need to learn how to be deeper thinkers and have more personality be part of the selection process for medical school and have it be more looking at artists. And I'm not talking, you know, like I was, just someone who dabbled in art. I mean, really find a way to meld art and empathy and social skills, and we'll make much better plastic surgeons than what we're producing um, now, and I don't think, what that- it, um, oh, ahead, Scott. It,
0: maybe this is a strange idea, but do any plastic surgeons you know of have like a makeup artist or an artist on their team that looks at the person and works with the surgeon and says, yes, do this, but do that and change this and change that. And would that be helpful?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think any communication about that would be helpful. And I, the the problem is, I think plastic surgeons do think that here we also think we're great, so we also think we know all the answers. So, um, ha. Yes, having that discussion would be awesome. Having an aesthetician who's understands the eye, if you don't, is good. Meaning the aesthetic eye is good. Um, the more it it. I, I actually think better communication and less discussion of, quote, procedures and steps would be important. So what you're suggesting is a is a step in the right direction.
0: Okay. Um, in terms of patient expectations, do you find yeah. that it's very difficult to manage them? Do you have, I mean, maybe like these celebrities we all, you know, look at, maybe they're like totally unreasonable. They say, I have to look, you know, like this. And that's uh, why they get, butchered do you encounter like unreasonable expectations or like what do you see that i um, sure
1: i have unreasonable expectations all the time the difference is and this is where you have to become empathetic so you you know there's you have two ways of dealing with that someone could come in and go i'll pay you anything i want to look like this now in your head you know it's physically impossible right But if you want to make some money and it's a big celebrity, you don't want them to go somewhere else. So you go, sure, I'll take your money. They have unreasonable expectations. I'll do as best as I can. We'll see how it goes. But at least I made a lot of money and I could say I operated on a next big shot so I can brag to my friends. That's one option. Or you can do this. You can say, those are completely unrealistic expectations. There is no way I could ever achieve that, and no one else can either. I do notice that your brow position isn't great and I can help you with that without these risks. And if you're interested, I can go through some other things as well. These is the only way we you can do it. What you're suggesting is completely unrealistic and if you ask enough people you will be harmed. I hate to tell you this. Those are those are I know you're a big star and that you're used to getting your way, but you cannot. You yeah, know, that's how I, I, I deal right. with People who are not A-list celebrities, as a matter yeah. of fact, I never have A-list celebrities. I deal with just, but, you know, in this modern world, we're all big shots and pseudo-celebrities.
0: Well, so what about, I mean, regular patients, regular people, what what are the reasons they tell you they want plastic surgery, maybe the most common ones? And what does that tell you about people?
1: Uh, I think it's really interesting. I love the human side of it, and I love learning about people. My main interest is rhinoplasty or nasal reshaping surgery, but I also do some injectables. And I think that rhinoplasty is one of the most important procedures and it's most interesting. The nose is vital to how we breathe and sleep. Uh, It's really the center of our structure of our face. And I think it's the area where it can make someone look bad as a young person, and they can have a lot of problems with self-confidence because of a bad nose or a crooked nose, and it can really turn their life around.
0: What are the most common reasons people have for wanting plastic surgery? And, you know, what does that tell you about people and what they think?
1: Yeah. Uh, I'd say the most common reason, you know, going by what I was saying about rhinoplasty, the most common um, for a major surgical procedure like a rhinoplasty is that it impairs their day-to-day life? In other words, they feel self-conscious about their nose. I just had someone in with me yesterday, so they're always worried, even to have people on their to see their profile. Like they're, you know, they don't like to sit at certain angles. They hate looking at selfies. They hate looking at pictures of themselves because they don't like that view. A lot of times, that goes hand in hand with they're not breathing well and they have. Even some sleep troubles as, as a result. So they end up usually by the time they get to me, um, because I don't market too well or too heavily, <laughs> well, is it that I, I slept and I actually probably said the truth? Um, I don't, by the time they get to me, they're kind of struggling with their self confidence, with their breathing, uh, and they're pretty desperate to be doing better with their nose. With, Aging patients, where I'm doing Botox or fillers or facelifts or things like that, they tend to be more um, mainstream people who just want to um, feel better about themselves and are dealing with the pressures of the world to not look aged or tired. Is,
0: is there a certain age at which people want plastic surgery? Is that age changing? Like, what what are some of the trends that are uh, happening now that you're seeing?
1: question. People are, are more aware of it at a much younger age. Um, you know, even kids in high school are aware of the whole thing, whereas I feel like my generation was much more innocent. You know, you weren't even, unless you had some real bad deformity, You, it wasn't on your mind. It was something like parents did. Now I notice even in high school, um, if I am speaking to a high school student, they're very you know knowledgeable about what's involved and how it's a big deal so I do think the age is trending younger that being said I think the way that the previous generations like a baby boomer uh, would think of or even the previous generation the older generation than that thought about facelifts they kind of had this whole philosophy like oh when you're 60 you go to a good plastic surgeon and get a facelift you know and I feel half those people look horrible and I think people my age, mid forties, fifties, um, are seeing some of those bad results and are trying to find tasteful alternatives. Okay, very so, good. So, Latin- uh,
0: why why, by the way, do you focus on rhinoplasty more than other modalities? What is it about it that uh, attracts you to it?
1: Uh, it's always what's been most interested to me, and that's what my I also. I do research at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine. That's where I know Steve Park. A lot of my research involves where sleep and rhinoplasty, you know, kind of where beauty, aesthetics and structure, facial structure meet. And it's been a really interesting 10 years of meeting people like Steve Park who, who was the sleep guy who you in, introduced you to me. I see that rhinoplasty it's not just about the bump on the nose. It's literally, um, it can even be a critical health issue related even to cardiovascular health, overall age, uh, and, and mostly it relates back to are you a nasal breather or are you a mouth breather? And a lot of times the people who are mouth breathers, their nasal aesthetics are poor. A lot of people who are um, nasal breathers, they have good nasal aesthetics. Uh, And you can tell, I can spot based on their jaw and nasal structure and how these things are related. And the mouth breathers, as much as we think of it as like a stigma, like, oh, it's a sign of not intelligent. That's not true. It's actually a sign of respiratory problems during sleep, which means people don't get as good rest, and they're more prone to things like sleep apnea. So the conventional wisdom is a rhinoplasty surgeon or a plastic surgeon has nothing to do with sleep or sleep apnea. But I, from my research and quest, uh, it has everything to do with it. But but it's also related to the shape of the jaw.
0: Okay, I see what you mean. So, right, the rhinoplasty is not just for beauty, but it's literally for being able to sleep better without apnea or upper airway respiratory syndrome or those right. kinds of things. Correct. Makes sense. Okay.
1: Is
0: is there a name for plastic surgeons that will do corrective work like this? You know, it's, it is it is plastic surgery, but it's not. It's not for looks, really. It's more for function. Is there a name for that?
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, the procedure is just like you said, functional rhinoplasty. Most people like me are what's called a facial plastic surgeon. So I did a residency in otolaryngology or ENT, and then a fellowship in facial plastic and reconstructive surgery. Most people who are really interested in rhinoplasty did this route of facial plastic surgery. So I do no body plastic surgery and I'm not qualified nor certified to do that type of thing. Most people when you they say they are a plastic surgeon, they did um a com you know, a their prerequisites in general surgical fields and then uh fellowship or residency training in plastic surgery. And that it's two different board certifications that are by most boards, considered equivalent um but so it it's a different a different field so i'm what's called a facial plastic surgeon, even though you might have assumed that it was a sub specialty of general plastic surgery or full body plastic surgery,
0: yeah, I guess even naming it it would give people a better idea that you know you 're not just there for beauty either you're there for functionality, and there's all these other things that they may not even con- have considered,
1: yeah. I I've toyed you know you bring up a great point I've toyed with the idea because of that association with the bad celebrity stuff it literally I spent half my time trying to talk people all right you don't need to be scared about it no you're not going to turn out like Michael Jackson you know these are the things that I talk about and the they're unrealistic fears I understand that they're real fears but it they're they don't understand the analysis of what happened with Joan Rivers and Michael Jackson and how these things are per- Prevent it. So I've all often toyed with the idea of kinding up, kind of coming up with a new name for what I do, so that I can help the right people and not elicit fear. So, example, you know, you go, oh, I'm going to a plastic surgeon. People are nervous just talking to me sometimes because they feel like maybe some of these bad results will ooze onto them just by even being in association with a plastic surgeon. I love, like sometimes I like to rename it facial architect or something like that, just to, you know, which unfortunately doesn't stick because peop, if I went out and put up a sign that said facial architect or, you know, something like that or aesthetics engineer or something like this, you know, people go, what the hell is that? Or heck, sorry, I didn't ruin your...
0: Right. Okay. It makes sense. Mm. Um, well, very good. So what's what's the best way for uh, for folks to get in touch and to find out more? Yeah, I know you can't help everybody, but it sounds like, you know, even talking to you will definitely put them in a better direction or looking at some of your resources. So what's the best way?
1: Uh, I have, you know, for my private practice, I'm in uh, Connecticut in Westport. The office number is 203-227-1826. If they're interested in uh, collaborating more at, in the university um Setting and involved, interested more in the research and the intersection of how uh, rhinoplasty and facial aesthetics and mouth breathing and sleep all interact, my um, work email there is howard.stupak at nbhn.net.
0: Yeah, and actually a quick question that came to mind. Um, if someone does have sleeping problems and it does involve, you know, working on their nose doing some kind of rhinoplasty, mm-hmm. Do they tend to say, Oh, well, while you're in there, make my nose look better or, you know, can you do this surgery in such a way that they look exactly the same or does it have to change their appearance?
1: Uh, it's a great question. Yes and no. And it really is variable. You know, so in other words, if someone had a horrible nose that the structural problem was causing the problems and they said, I want to look better, but don't want a drop of change, I'd say, well, then we we shouldn't do this because we're not going to achieve anything. If someone says, I want you to preserve my look, you know, I don't want to have a rhinoplasty look. Not that I ever want to do that, but I don't want to look much different. I want you to preserve my features as much as you can, but of course not compromising my breathing, then that's a reasonable expectation and I will do my best to achieve that.
0: And are there any um, traditional nose shapes that lend themselves to you know problem sleeping or not, like a Roman nose or any other kinds of noses that yeah' you know, seem to be you know I'm probably
1: it. less familiar with the lay or you know the non specialist version of them, but the most interesting one that I notice is something called a tension nose um I don't know if the public is very aware of this. it's where the nose kind of really sticks forward and almost you know it it has a it has a bump to it, but it's also kind of um the The lip is kind of short because the nose is long um it it's really i guess another word would be the very prominent nose. Those people tend to not realize that they have a breathing problem um and just reducing the size of it and matching it to the face, they get a tremendous improvement in aesthetics and breathing, and a lot of times they're they they People who came for the aesthetics didn't even realize that they weren't sleeping, and have oh, okay. and have sometimes you know life-altering um, results.
0: That's nice. Maybe if someone comes in for you know, I guess to put it uh, gutturally, a nose job. If you could also tell them that hey, this may improve your breathing and sleeping at night. That's an added benefit.
1: Yeah, you know what? The way I start maybe ten years ago or 15, you know twelve, fifteen years ago. I was mostly interested in just the aesthetics. I mean, hey, who wouldn't want to focus more on the making money side and making people pretty? It sounds more cool and that was what I was trained to do. But one of these people, while they were you know about six months after the surgery, she had had a good result um, but she said, "You know I, I have to tell you something. I don't know if you ever heard of anything like this or if this sounds weird, but you know before the surgery, I never experienced dreams and since then, I've had dreams, vivid dreams. I've only had vivid dreams. Then it, m- my first instinct, especially as a doctor, is, ah, you know, it's not possible, or you must have imagined this. But what it did is it led me to this quest of being like, wow, I wonder if this stuff, there's more to it than just aesthetics. So, I mean, everyone knows there's more to it than just aesthetics, but I think the functionality is grows deep. And that this change in dreams, and I noticed her whole life had changed after that. I'm not necessarily all for the better. I mean, she became a much more adventurous person uh, and changed in a, in very substantial ways. And the more I was, my eyes were open to that. The more I learned, and the more it has informed my research and reading, and really by keeping an open mind and listening to patients. I've grown a tremendous amount beyond what my training was.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's a great evolution. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, Dr. Stupek, thanks for coming. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I think listeners will definitely benefit from this. And, you know, again, the the most difficult thing is to find someone like you if they're not in your neighborhood. So uh, I think you have some thing. good ideas on how to do that.
1: Yeah, It is a hard thing. Use the human skills.
0: Well, very good. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate you having me.
0: All right. Hold on a second. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.